today we are continuing our series that we started um, kind of the end of August that we're calling Belonging, Becoming the Family of God. And we've been talking about this idea that, that God wants to be known and he is our father. And that makes us his children, his sons and his daughters. That makes us brothers and sisters. And so we've been just reading different passages in scripture going, okay, what does it mean for us to live as, as God's children? How do we live in the family as, as brothers and sisters? And, and, and how do we add to our family? How do we not just be about us, but to think about people who don't yet know our Father and don't yet know the goodness of walking in communion with Him. And so today, we're going to be continuing our series. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about this idea of what it means to be an authentic community. Um, what do you think of when you hear that word, authentic, when it comes to us as a church family? To be real, to be genuine, to, to not be fake, to let people see the full us, both the good and the bad, to let... Um, to let no pretense be in the way let, for us not to hide. I was talking to a friend of mine. We were having coffee on Tuesday at Fido. She's a, um, a student at Vanderbilt. She's a, a junior at Vanderbilt. And we were talking, and I said, how long have you been a part of, of Marathon? Like, you know, of all the great churches, when you moved here from California, why did you choose to be a part? Why have you you've been here like every Sunday? This is clearly your church family. Why? And, and she said, there's, there's just a, something genuine about people there. I don't feel like I'm walking into a, a fake group of people. There's just something that was real. And I just, I heard that. And I'm like, I had to pass that along. Like, that's such a high compliment. And I've seen that in us, in you. I think about a house church, um, a house church that we led before we were um, having a conversation. And the, the question that we ask is, hey, where is the Lord working in your life? Like, where are you encouraged? Where are you growing? And then the other side is, where are you struggling? Where do you, do you wish that God would just light a fire in you? Where, where are, you, are you lacking? And so people were sharing. And I remember this person shared, and, and this was the line. They said, our, our marriage was in a tough place for a long time. And we're still not in a great place, but we're in a better place than we were. And there was something about those words that were, were shared in the living room. And, and we realized, oh, that's That's real. That's the stuff that's going on behind closed doors that, that no one else would know about unless you shared. And we applauded them, not physically, but our hearts were applauding, right? Because uh, we, we were moved when people let us see the real them. Our hearts resonate with that, right? Why? Because we all want that. We all want to live this authentic life but also realize that being authentic, and I'm talking about just in terms of, of our struggles and our sin and our shortcomings, being authentic isn't the goal in and of itself. Here's what I mean. I, I believe that being authentic is a path. It's the path. It's the doorway, but, but it's not the end in and of itself. No, transformation is the end in and of itself. So here's what I mean. You know, you can share all of your stuff. We could share all of our stuff all day long with people. And if being authentic is the destination, there isn't really any expectation that we would mature, that we would move beyond the struggles. Being authentic just for the sake of being authentic. It sounds really cool to be an authentic family, to be an authentic church. But I would propose that it comes up lacking, that there's still more to be done. So here's what I mean. If, if your friend tells you being authentic, letting them see the real them, yeah, I've been hooking up with this guy and no one knows and it's awesome. Or last year, I cheated on my taxes and I just had to tell, right? Like, we can tell that there's more to just letting people know the real us, right? That there's something about letting people see us, but there's more work to be done. You know, the hope in being authentic 
is that we would let others see the real us because we don't like the things that we've done. We don't like the people that we've been. And we don't wanna hide those things because reality is those things, they come back and they haunt us and they keep haunting us. And the reality is, especially when we are, are filled with the spirit of God, we're not made to hold on to those things. We want to move beyond them. We want to lay them aside. We want the Lord to redeem them. We wanna walk in lives of transformation. And there's this beautiful thing that happens when we are authentic, that it actually blesses us, that, that this peace and this freedom and this joy sweeps over us. But, but it's not just about us. There's something that happens communally when we choose to walk in authenticity that others actually benefit. You know, when we let other people into our real lives, into our shortcomings, it, it encourages Right, it shows people that they're not the only ones who are struggling. I mean, think about this. For those of you who've, who've shared something that is just a part of your life, and, and, and isn't it crazy how often when you share those things, people go, yeah, you know what? I thought that I was the only one that was wrestling through that. And there's just this freedom that comes. I think about when I was in campus ministry, there was a group of guys, and, and they would meet once a week, and they called it the fight. And they would come together, and they would just share the things that they were wrestling with. And the purpose was never just to share them, but it was for transformation. It was to, to help each other. And so what I love about the story that, we, that my wife just read in John chapter 21, I think that it sheds so much light into this conversation. I want to fill you in on Peter, fill us in on Peter, on who he is. His name's mentioned a lot in John chapter 21. G Peter was a, a dear friend of Jesus's. He was super close to Jesus. Three years prior to this moment that we just read about in John chapter one, um, Jesus showed up at Peter's work one day and he said, Peter, I want you to, to leave your occupation. I'm, I'm giving you a new life calling. And he lays down his nets and he follows Jesus. And for the next three years, he got to just be a part of this amazing adventure with Jesus. And one of the very first things that he did is he goes to his house and he watched Jesus physically, instantly, supernaturally just heal his mother-in-law. Like think about how crazy that would be. He was firsthand witness to the miracles of Jesus. Saw him walk on water. He walked on water with Jesus. He got to hear the, the sermons and the illustrations and on the front row. Peter was a part of the small group, the inner circle of Jesus's. A close-knit that got to see things and hear things that most didn't. Think about the people in your life, your, your close-knit, your, your people the people who know you, the people who, who know things that others don't know about you. Think about the closeness and the intimacy that you share, the friendship, the love, the companionship. And this is Peter with Jesus. They were close. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, it says that the night before that Jesus was crucified, he said to his apostles of whom Peter was one, he looks at the 12 and he says, this very night, Every one of you will fall away from me. And I love what Peter says. He says, Jesus, even if every single man in this circle falls away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus said, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared in front of his friends, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
Someone flip over to Matthew chapter 26 real quick, starting in verse 69. I invite you to, to stand up and just to read that out loud, project it really loud so that we can hear. But Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 69, going through verse 75. First person that gets there, stand up and read it. You'll get an extra uh, prize in heaven, I think. Anyone can read. Thanks, Dale. Uh-huh, through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up, said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept Yeah, and so Peter does what he, what he never thought he would do. I mean, this really happened. Think about this. The exact same night that he just so boldly said, I will die with you. And then literally an hour or two later, this, this happens and he denies him. And we don't fully know. He's maybe just scared for his life, but he doesn't seem to just be as devoted as he thinks he is. And that verse, the, the end of verse 75, I hope you, you caught that. It says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Have you been there before? You've been so broken over your sin that you weep and you grieve. And it says that, that, three, uh, that, that later that, that morning, the next day, Jesus is crucified and he, he dies alone on a cross on Friday afternoon. And, and three days later on a Sunday morning, he comes back from the dead vic victoriously. And then several days later, he shows up on the shore in John chapter 21 and he calls out to them and, and Peter realizes that it's Jesus. And so he pulls the Katie Ledecky and just jumps in the water and swims as fast as he can to the shore. He doesn't even wait for them to row the, bo the, the boat to the shore. Jesus cooks breakfast. I want to take a second to just highlight this. I believe that two of the ways that the enemy loves to discourage and to even destroy us as God's people. The first is this, he likes to convince us that, that our sin has forfeited the salvation that has been given to us. He likes to convince us that our sin has forfeited the salvation that God has given to us. And the second thing that the enemy loves to do is he, he loves to trick us into believing that even if God could forgive us for our sin, that God would never be interested in using us again in his kingdom that we can never serve again, that we can never lead a house church again, that we can never really do anything meaningful for our lives. And these are just some of the, the tricks up the enemy's sleeve, some of the lies that are in his arsenal. And I want you to think about this. Have you ever really messed up? I mean, like just really did the thing that, that you, you thought that you would never do, even though you were a follower of Jesus. And have you ever had this thought, God, are you gonna take your spirit from me because of what I did? Have you ever wrestled with that? Have you ever seen your badness and forgot about his goodness? Have you ever had a thought, man, God, you have forgiven me of this so many times. There's no way that you could forgive me again. And I wonder if Peter, if he's sitting there with 
piece of bread and a fish on that, that morning. I wonder if he's wrestling with these questions. Can he forgive me? I wonder if it's why he was so responsive when Jesus came looking for him. Notice that Peter didn't go looking for Jesus. Who was it that came looking for him in the story? It's why he jumped in the water. It's why he didn't wait for the boat to get there. And I love the story of Peter's life because it's such a clear picture of how Jesus responds to sinful men and women. You know, I was thinking back in Matthew chapter 26, the night that, that Peter betrayed him, the night that Jesus, before he was crucified, and, and if you go back and you read that story right before what Dale read, it, the scripture leads us to believe that no one else was there that night but John. And I'm going, well, how did Matthew find out about it then? You know, Matthew writes about it in Matthew 26. He's one of the apostles. Did Peter come back and go, you're never gonna believe what I did? How did Matthew find out about Peter's shortcomings? And we don't know, but what we do know is that for 2,000 years, Peter's life has been read. His life has been uh, preached. His life has been studied. And maybe the most embarrassing, the most sinful moment of his life for him personally has become this monumental moment in helping Christians understand the grace of God. Do you get that? Think about this. It's, it's not just in knowing about the reinstatement of Peter in John chapter 21. No, it's knowing about the rebellion that went before that, that we get the clear picture of his grace. And did you notice what, what Jesus says in verse 15? He looks at Peter and, and he says, Peter, have you been perfect? Peter, have you done everything right? Peter, have you kept every Sabbath? Peter, did you have quiet time this morning? No, what does he say to Peter? What does he say to him? What question does he ask him? Do you love me? And Jesus knows that Peter loves him. Despite the failure, he sees into his heart. I mean, the king that created it all, he sees into his beating heart and he knows that there's love for him in his heart. And he calls him back into ministry. Follow me, Peter. <laughs> Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And I wonder what a glorious moment this must have been for Peter. I wonder how this, the sadness of Friday and the sadness of betrayal was completely overturned when Jesus showed up and invited him back on the team. Peter got to spend three years watching Jesus forgive and completely change sinful people's lives. He knew that Jesus was merciful, that Jesus was kind, but it was so often just through observation. And I wonder what happened when he, the one on the inner circle, the one who had the answers, the one who had walked on water, not only needed, but experienced grace for his own sin. I wonder what happened when he fully realized that God's grace was so much bigger than his rebellion. That Jesus not only allowed him to continue to serve the kingdom, but wanted him to serve in the kingdom even after he sinned. I was reading all this this week, Matthew 26, John chapter one, just about these significant moments in Peter's life. And, and I go, I wonder, here we are, 2017. I wonder if we would, if we would really question God's forgiveness 
and God's ability to use us after we sin if we didn't know about Peter's failure? Like, what if all we had was a conversation on the beach that morning? What if we weren't aware of the shortcomings? What if we weren't aware of how deep the cut in the heart of Jesus really was? Would we really ever fully trust that Jesus forgives us? That he includes us and invites us all the way back in? And I'm telling you, there was just something about the verse, the, the, the second part of this passage, verses 15 through 19, that those questions were just resonating so deeply in my heart this week. When is the last time you've answered those questions for yourself personally? Mark, Jesus looks at you. Do you love me, Mark? When have you wrestled with that? And Taylor, when's the last time you wrestled with that? You let Jesus ask you those questions. And Myron, when's the last time that you let the Lord ask you? And Anthony, when's the, the last time that, that you let the Lord ask you, do you love me? And Kate, when's the last time you let the Lord sit you down and say, Kate, do you love me? And what I realized is that question is so powerful and it's so convicting and it's so challenging. But one of the things that it does is in spite of our sin, it helps us understand what is really going on in our heart for the Lord. Because the reality is that we all stumble, we all sin, and yet the Lord comes to us in our sin. He says, Noah, do you actually love me? And Sabrina, do you actually love me? Now, some of you come here and you don't love the Lord. And that's awesome. We're so thankful that you're here. We're, we're thankful that you made the choice to come here this morning. And I keep asking that, that the Lord would keep opening your heart to understand how much he loves you. Because you will never fully love him until you understand how much he loves you. That he died for you on the cross, that he paid for all of your sins, that he rose from the dead, and that he keeps showing back up on the metaphorical shores of your life calling to you. It'll change you. We have to let the Lord, each of us, we have to let the Lord Jesus ask us these questions in the private places in our lives, okay? But I also want to acknowledge that, that there is a communal aspect to this story. This is all happening with other people around. And I think we miss something when the things that are happening privately, they never come into the public places within our community. We are so private. We tend to be so scared to share our shortcomings, and I do too. I'm not pointing fingers here. But I think this is one of the most powerful ways that the gospel actually works, that, that we can tell people all day long about the, the, the forgiveness that Jesus offers about his death and his resurrection. But there is something different when you come to someone and you say, man, Jesus has come into my life. And these are the things that I have done. And this is the way that he has covered me. And this is the freedom that I found in Jesus. There's just something intrinsically different about just spilling some information and letting the gospel actually run through your veins. I don't think this means that we stand up here and we just confess all of our sins to everyone, right? But I think we are failing to truly be authentic when we never let anyone see the things that are really going on in our hearts. I love what the great theologian Andrew Smith said on Thursday afternoon. I'll quote him. He, he, he said this beautiful line. He says that, we use, that God uses the worst moments of our lives for the advancement of the kingdom and for his glory. And he just, he kept saying this. He says, we, we tend to think that, that we need to hide our worst places. He said, no, what we actually need to do is we need to bring them into the light because it actually helps others. This is good for us communally because this is about us as a family. 
And it creates this healing in us as a, a family when someone understands that I'm not alone. When you see that others are struggling with the same things that you're struggling with, there's something powerful about this happening communally. You know, Peter's life has been so monumental in shaping my life as a Christian. Peter's way more bold, way more courageous than I am. But I spent so much time in John chapter 21, Matthew chapter 26, just looking at his life. His life has given me such confidence that I trust that God really has forgiven me of my sin. That on the cross, the, the full weight of my sin was paid for by the loving arms of Jesus. That he has brought me to the place where I have grieved and I have wept over my sin in the past, my sin in the present. But I trust that he's dealt with it. And I trust that he's given me his, his righteousness. And so as one of the leaders here, I try to be transparent with you as my church family. And I don't let you in on everything that's going on in my life, but I do try to let you see the things that I've, I've struggled with in the past, the things that I'm wrestling with in the present, because I hope what it does is it gives you courage to step into the light. It's not easy for me to do that, but someone's got to go first. And I want to be one of those people. I want the walls of fear to fall down in our hearts that we can come into a place like this. We don't have to fear God. We don't have to fear what other people think about us because this is such a safe place because of the perfect work that Jesus has done for us on the cross and on the empty tomb. And here's the reality. Your story, your struggles, your sin, and Christ covering all over it, it might be the monumental Peter moment in someone else's life. helping them grasp the love and the grace of Jesus. Maybe they don't just need to hear about Jesus. Objectively, they need to hear what Jesus can do in a person's heart. This has played itself out in my life in a couple of ways. The deepest, darkest things in my life that I didn't want anyone else to know, God brought me to this place where I realized I, I want people to know me. I let my wife, I let some of my closest friends in on who I was, not who I am. And to see their love and to see their grace and to see their compassion, and it just brought so much healing into my heart. I think about so often when I'm having coffee or eating lunch or in house church or, or hanging out with, with someone and, and I'll have one of those moments where the Holy Spirit goes, you need to share some of your story. You need to let down the walls. You need to let them in. And, and a lot of times I trust these people, but sometimes I just take a chance not really knowing what they're going to do with my story. But the sheer parts of, of my life that help and encourage them. Took my daughter, Finley, my son Jones, to the dentist on Friday. The dentist said she's doing a great job brushing her teeth. You know, there are no cavities on top or the sides, she said, but in between the teeth... Um, she, got a, she has some cavities. Got a floss. You got to, to do that. And so, you know, I come home and I'm telling Finley, hey, we're going to start flossing at night. And she's like, oh, cool. That sounds great. And I'm like, you don't understand flossing, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I personally like flossing, but the majority of, of people don't. And, and so last night we, we come home and I'm brushing my teeth and I'm flossing. And she's like, dad, can I watch you floss? And I'm like, okay. And, and so I'm flossing and, and she's watching me and she looks and she's like, Dad, you have cavities. That's gross. Like, 
dad, you have cabbage. He's like going on and on. And I'm like already feeling insecure, right? Like my mouth's wide open and, and, and she's looking at me. And I just kind of have one of these moments, like me choosing to let her see, choosing to let her in. Even it's like a ridiculous thing, like cavities. Because I know in a couple of weeks, she's going to have to sit down in that chair. And, and I know that she's going to be scared. And I'm going to be able to help her and say, hey, you're going to be okay. I've been there. I know what it's like to sit in your shoes, to sit in that seat. And you're going to be okay. And this is the way the gospel works. That when we choose to open our mouths and let people see the things that we aren't proud of, the things that, that we're ashamed of, the Lord heals us and he blesses our family. So here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to break the bread. We're going to drink the cup. And communion is this time every week where we take a piece of bread, a piece of delicious bread, and a cup of, of juice. And it's this tangible reminder that not only do we need forgiveness, but we have it. The bread reminds us that his body was broken for our sins, that Jesus' body was broken that all of our sins were put on him and he died for them. He dealt with them. They are done. And the juice is this reminder that we have new life, that his blood was shed so that we could live. And so during communion, Chris is going to get back up in a minute. We're going to have a time of, of just prayer and breaking the bread together. And you can do this with the people around you. But I want to invite you to respond. I want to invite us to respond today. And so there are some of you here today and you're living in fear. You, you, you're sitting in this seat and you're so fearful because you've been stumbling in sin or you've been living in sin or maybe you just stumbled last night. And I think the Lord is, is wanting to ask you, do you love me, Daniel? Do you love me? And if you, if you don't love him, if you come here and you're not a Christian, man, keep coming back. And if you want to pray, if you want to talk, there are so many people in this church that would love to, to just pour our lives into walking with you and helping with you. There'll be some men and women at the respond bear in the back, and we would love to talk with you. For those of you who are Christians, as you're wrestling with that question, do you, do you love me? If you really do love Jesus, if you really do, wake up and you go, no, I actually, I actually do love him. My life, it revolves more around him. I care more about him than anything else in this life. Then let him take the things that are haunting you, the things that you so clearly regret doing, and let his forgiveness come over you. Let them come on you. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins and pray for one another and you will be healed. And there's just something about being willing to, to speak. Hey, this is what I've done. This is who I've been. And to see forgiveness and to see compassion and to see grace in people's eyes that allows you to fully understand that we really are forgiven. I try to regularly confess sin to my wife, to my closest friends. And there's just this release that comes when I do. And so for some of you this morning, as you take communion, let him ask you that question, do you love me? And if, if you want to be prayed for, come to the back. We'd love to pray for you or pray with the people that you came with. Maybe there are some who came here this morning and you've, you've never, ever confessed sin to anyone. That's not a burden that you need to carry by yourself. 
and the Lord has already forgiven and he has already moved, but there's some healing to be done in your heart. And so I invite you during communion, or if there's not someone here that you'd fully trust, find someone that you do trust, who's, who's not gonna uh, belittle you or, or, or hurt you by, by you opening up and find someone and let them in and let them pray for you. And I encourage you, if, if you're on the receiving end of someone really opening up their life, I encourage you to... Um, you have the responsibility to not share publicly the things that you hear in private. Treat others as you'd want to be treated, as Jesus said. Others of you, you've, you've been walking in this freedom. You've been using your story, your parts of your story to share with others, to speak hope and freedom and faith into their lives. And I invite you as you take communion to thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for helping you take the step to, to, to come into the light with all the things that you've done and, and thank him for the freedom that he brought. And then for all of us as, as Christians, as we leave this place, you know, this, this is a part of why we gather, to, to break the bread and, and to be together and to worship and to hear the word. But so much of, of this time is to prepare us for what happens when we leave this place. Preparing us to, to encounter those people that we'll meet that don't know Jesus. I love the passage of scripture that says, make the most of every opportunity. And so I invite you this week to make the most of every opportunity. To invite people to come to worship next Sunday with you. To sit beside you, to break the bread, to, to experience the goodness of the Lord. I invite you this week for, for those of you as, you, as you just live life, as you see your coworkers, as you see your students, as you see your classmates. And when it's clear that something is going on when they're down, Ask if you can pray for them right there and pray for them. Ask them if there's more help to be done, if there's something that you can do instead of just prayer to help them. And if God gives you an opportunity to share of his redemptive work in your life, make the most of that opportunity. So this is what it means to be the family of God. To be an authentic family. Let's pray. God, I invite you to search our hearts. God, would you ask us the questions that we need to wrestle with? And would you give us the courage to step into the light of your healing presence? Yes, Lord, it is not a coincidence that we are talking about this this morning. So many come here have just been longing for this invitation and, and give them the freedom, the courage to step through the door and to find you. To find you standing on the shore with the bread in hand, ready to call back ready to reinstate into the ministry, into life with you. And so God, we just come here declaring your goodness. That is such an honor to be your sons and daughters. And thank you for the good things that you have done in our church. Thank you for the good things that you've done this morning. Bring them to full completion in our time together. And Lord Jesus, would you just burn in our hearts this week. And would you use us to spread the goodness of Jesus and his spirit, and who you are as our Father all over this city. That they may come to know you. They may bow and confess you as Lord. And so we love you. We are yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.